0: Hi, I'm Eric Shankman, and you're listening to Talking Blues.
1: I often look at um, the internet to do research, and one of the things I came across was that you played guitar on Natalie Merchant's Carnival. Is that true?
0: Yeah, it is true.
1: That's... um, Impressive. I love that guitar work
0: on that. (laughs) That's good. Well, thank you. I I played on only two songs on that record. I just played on that and this song called Jealousy as well.
1: Right, which is also another great song. But that song... So tell me how that happened.
0: How that happened was... um, I was in New York and I had just freshly quit the Spin Doctors in 1994 um, due to a disagreement primarily with everyone. (laughs) (laughs) and um, my friend Kate Sullivan called me up and um, she was just great Um, she still lives in upstate New York probably I haven't seen her in many years but um, she was a person that was connected with um, you know musicians in New York and and she was connected with the Chieftains people and she knew that I gather she knew the um, Natalie's manager Um, and then I had another way into that band too because Natalie's band at the time was the original Wallflowers band. Oh. Yeah, and the Wallflowers band, the original Wallflowers were on tour with the Spin Doctors in like 91, I think. We did I think we did New Year's Eve with them too at the Roseland Ballroom in um, in New York, which was a fantastic old venue by the way. Um yeah, so Uh, so I was just kind of like, you know, treading water for a minute there. And Kate mentioned this. And then I, as soon as she mentioned Natalie, they needed some extra guitar. They were having some issues with the guitar on a couple of tunes on this record that they'd done. And so, um, they, I remember they were down at Sony actually by that time, which was, Um, 54th street i think by the hit factory Mm -hmm. and i went down there with my little white amplifier and a guitar and laid down a bunch of tracks (laughs) and um yeah natalie was there the producer was there it was you know that's how that happened and so you know it's very fortunate really you know it wasn't much of a payday but like people ask me about it a lot and they did send me a gold record so
1: (laughs) well, that's nice i mean that's (laughs) that guitar playing is stunning on that song (laughs) did you know at that point that it was a special song? I mean, it, that no, song did no, well. No,
0: I forgot about um, everything about it, actually. <laughs> I really did. I forgot everything about it until I heard um, one of the, so- I heard the, the so- song off the record on the radio and I remembered and um, I knew, I think it was Kate again and I, I probably asked her, like, hey, can you ask, I think it's John Landau as her manager. I said, can you ask their office, you know, if, if the record's gone gold or whatever, but, you know, I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really think about it. It was just like a little session that went by at the time. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go so when you hear sometimes it... it's better not to think too much not to overthink you know
1: okay you did mention about leaving the spin doctors and i want to get to that but mm-hmm. i want to start with how you got into music
0: uh well my dad was a musician he was a cellist and um, his dad was a musician he was a conductor and a violist and his mom was a he, my grandfather's name was Edgar, and Eddie's wife was his concert master, uh, Marguerite, my grandmother. So there's a bunch of string play, playing in the family. So, um, Did that play for the TSO? He did. He was the principal cellist at Toronto Symphony wow. from 66 to 1970 or 71, right in there.
1: So did you? do you have any classical training?
0: Um, attempted classical training only. I have, um, like, they tried to like ruin my life with a violin for you know a few years that's what they do the classical families they send you a tiny violin it's really you know we make jokes about the tiny violin in life but when you get one in the mail it's really kind of horrible I tried instantly to get away from it, but I did do some Suzuki. Um, and, you know, I, it's really just the shoulder. It just hurts is why I'm making fun of the violin. Because it hurts your collarbone. And it, and the sound really was, it went in my ear wrong and like kind of, you know, it was like a grating noise. I didn't like it at all. I already had played the guitar by that point. So I, I already liked the guitar. I did have a bit of a classical family and they did you know, actually not really recognize the guitar as a real instrument initially, but it was like, I was born in 1963. So, you know, by the time I was old enough to ride a bike, you know, the electric guitar was, you know, vastly powering over, you know, any of the classical assumptions.
1: (laughs) But how did that passion start? Like, what did you, how did you get to the guitar and how did you want to get the guitar? My
0: parents didn't get along at all. And I think that the neighbor had a guitar and that we lived across from Fenway Park when I was a baby. I was born in boston and uh and and um i th- I think because there really is honest to God a picture that I have of little infant me um, trying to strum this guitar, but my hand's not big enough I've got and i 've got a pacifier and it 's about when we were living in Boston and I think the neighbor was had a guitar, he had a guitar, and I think my parents really didn 't you know really get along very well and uh, My romantic notion is that I crawled next door. And, you know, the guitar was there. So I've always felt very close to the guitar in any case. So. And did
1: you take the guitar very quickly?
0: No, no. I, in fact, I'm still surprised that it's what I do. Because uh, I've I've had lots of difficulty with it over the years, including <laughs> breaking my hand and all sorts of things. Um, but uh, I, I just, I sort of joke that I've been trying to quit for many years, usually when people ask me how long I've been playing for. Because really, I've been trying to play the damn thing, like, my entire life, right? So... <laughs> But you can't just figure it out,
1: right? No, it's it's way too big to read,
0: which is one of the things that I like about music and about the guitar, actually, is that you can't figure it out. Um, And it's, uh, I think though, you know, there's a discrepancy between whether something runs in your blood or whether you're socialized into, you know, having an idea about something. And I think in my case, I can say that my family, like I don't, I, I do have a good sense of time for the most part. A good pulse and rhythm swing thing but you know I think that I'm just more acceptant of doing this for my life because my parents were my I have music in my family I don't think it's something that like you know I like inherited a gift for because I haven't right. worked at it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, so, I, th- I, think but it, I think that's how it works. I think like you get to that crossroads and you're like, well, you know, my friend, I've got five friends I can think of from high school. They all play better guitar than me. And I you can think of all these crossroads I would get to. I'd be like, man, I can't believe that dude's not playing anymore. But you somehow, you know, I would like find a reason why I was okay to continue, I guess. You know, well, so. you've done quite well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not complaining, man. I'm happy with my career. It's, you know, it's been very... You know, much better than it could have been. So I wonder how
1: your parents felt about you following music and not in the classical world. Did that ever um, become point? Well, discussion?
0: initially, my mom was not into me being a musician at all. And she actually carried that right through until I was 18 or so. And uh, my dad, he was really actually into. He always thought said about me. I'll be able. He said you could probably do whatever you put your mind to. He says to me. So, but he also, you know, warned me more than two times about how cutthroat the music business is and how, you know, it's. You, you know, it's not something that, and I think any musician, any real teacher, anybody that's imparting truth to a to a young person uh, on the subject of being a musician, will say the same thing. I would say it, the same thing to. Uh, simply put, are you know, uh, are you sure you want to put up with this shit? Right? It's mm-hmm. like really, you gotta. You, that's the basic tenet. If you say yes, you know, my dad, he gave me good advice like that. Like, don't do this if you have an yeah. option you like better. In other yeah. words, right? But I just never had one, so. Yeah, and I think you know.
1: that's. I mean, it always amazes me because I, I'm not a musician, and I talk to all these musicians at very di- various different levels, and I think, why do you do this? But I, I think most of them say they have no choice.
0: This right. is what they do. It's what you do. It's your job, right? Right. Yeah, I've struggled with that many times. Actually, I struggled with it this year, making this record that I just made. Uh, Who shot John? I, I, uh, I, like, I never really have made a good record intending to make a record, first of all. So this one sort of happened that way too, but... It so, worked. I expl-
1: explain that again?
0: Yeah. Well, it's supposed to, you know, it's something that occurs to you. It's like what you said about editing. You know, it's like, it's nice when the thought is complete. Right. I don't like pre-planning too much. You know, uh, something starts nagging at you and, you know, you pursue it. So, you know, in my case with this record, it was, um, you know, the thought that there was more than a few songs that I've written in the past decade that I didn't really record so much the way I wanted to. And there was other ones that I didn't finish because I was, you know, doing other things. Right. And so I, I decided, you know, well, I'll, I'll, and then my, my, my friend Van, who's a drummer had said, you know, I've just finished setting up my studio. Why don't you come hang out? So the two things went together and I thought, well, I'll go and I'll record this song and that song. And I went and I did that. And then, that worked, so then I tried it again, and then I went to my other friend Cody's house, and I did the same thing. And then, you know, we got some good stuff, so I went back again. And then me and Sean set about to, uh, Sean Kellerman set about to, uh, you know, uh, produce the rest of it. Essentially, he on bass and me on guitar, which... Um, Which is actually unusual in in itself because we usually play the other way (laughs) around. Right. So So,
1: and and so you didn't initially go in and say I want to make a new record. No. Kind
0: of. No. And the spin doctors really were the same situation. In fact, my life is just a my musical life is simply a repetition, uh, you know, in different places. Really, because you know I've been playing at a small club in Toronto called Grossman's for the last couple of years on Wednesday nights, which has given me an opportunity to sing a whole lot and develop repertoire. You know. Is that
1: something you were comfortable with before this,
0: singing? Um, yeah, I, start, I sort of took it on, really. Uh, Jerome encouraged me. Jerome Godbu encouraged me. Because um, I've been working with him in a blues, um, Ontario blues sensibility for the last almost 10 years, I guess. Right. And um, he's, he's always egging me on. And other people that I've worked with also egged me on. Kip Hanrahan who's a New York jazz musician friend of mine who I've worked with. He's a producer. He's a great guy. He always you know encouraged me to sing as well. And a lot of people that I really respect have encouraged me to sing, and um, Phoebe Snow encouraged me to sing. Wow. Yeah, I used to work for Phoebe a little bit in uh, what year? That would be about 96. And um, she came down and saw my trio in New York at the time, it was too much work for me back then to sing. It was like I was trying to sing. I couldn't figure out like the complete picture. I've worked for singers. Right. I, you know, I can, I, I can, I can discern good singing, but my own instrument, I didn't really understand completely, and I didn't really have a way in. Uh, I just didn't get it completely, and it wasn't until later, maybe in the last seven or eight years, that my voice started to. I don't know occurred to me. I started to figure out how to how to use my bo- how to use my voice,
1: okay, so yeah, I mean I think I hate to say this, but sometimes it happens a lot in the blues, and I'm sure it happens in other genres as well, but because of economics, bands have guitar players who sing who are not great singers, but that's just the reality of it exactly um that's right, but i you know i how do you know? Like, obviously, if somebody like Phoebe Snow says, you should really sing, she saw something in your singing that had potential. Yeah, because she
0: was a great singer. Yeah, she was yeah. wonderful. And Kip is a great producer. And Jerome's a great blues singer. So all those th- those three people that I listed right there, um, you know. And Corky, too. When we were working, me and Corky and Noel, he encouraged me to sing, too. I, I was really reluctant because I didn't want to sing. Actually, he was supposed to sing. <laughs> And we're talking <laughs> Corky. about Corky Lang. Anyway, yeah, we're talking about Corky Lang. My brother, Corky Lang. My friend. old, My dear old friend, Corky, who I talk to very regularly still.
1: So how how long does it take <laughs> to become comfortable? Because I think you did a great job on the new album. You're singing. It's wonderful. Well, like, I was it's true. It. It's
0: real, right? It's yeah. like it's actually, you know, it's now something that, like I said, to get back to it, it's like this great club, Grossman's, you know, that I've had the real... You know, a lot of people look at the Grossmans and look at it and see a, you know, a some kind of crazy thing, and I look at it and <laughs> saw an amazing opportunity, to uh, and so you know I've been working there for two years with Leo Valvasori and uh, various drummers, including Gary Craig and Al Cross and really great Toronto drummers and uh, and you know I've developed a lot of repertoire like that those original songs some of them I sifted them through but I didn't really lean on I didn't really lean on this new record as part of that gig is more like, um, an opportunity to, you know, sing in a room and accompany myself with a guitar and try to make it with a rhythm section at the same time, you know, um, in such a way that, uh, I'm not like, like the, in such a way that it feels like I feel when I play the guitar and I'm sort of free with it. Right. Cause that's no work for me. Right. Like when, when it's, when it's happening, I'm having a good time. Like I love to play. Um, when when it's working.
1: <laughs> but okay, so how long did it take to get to that point with your voice?
0: <laughs> well, you know, like, it. I've always been, like, able to do something with my voice, right? Like, even back when I was living in Toronto when, when I was a kid, like, I played in various sort of, I would define as country punk bands. I was always blues-based, but, um, and there was always an opportunity for Eric to sing, you know, but I was, was singing B, usually it turned out, because I'm probably talking in B. Uh, right now and I could always you know sort of holler so you know I wrote a song or two and then there were some songs that I just found that I could sing I could always sing She Caught the Katie like I like I heard Taj Mahal sing it and I guess you know and some Mavis Staples too like it's in the right timbre for me like I'll just hear some Mavis sing some song and I'll just instantly think like I could probably sing that song and um but it was very narrow you know so um it was always too much work for me because I felt like uh, in a trio context musically you know, I don't want to play everything in the same key.
1: Right.
0: And I know too much about the guitar. And I know too much about music, you know, to, to, to like, you know, so it felt like my voice really didn't fit. And I had questions about how to use it that I couldn't answer. Um, but all those questions I can answer about the guitar.
1: How did that come about? How did <laughs> How did you get to the point where your guitar playing was the primary focus? I just
0: played a lot of guitar, man. It's as simple as that. I played. You ask anybody that grew up with me, like I skipped school and played guitar. I used to, you know, you know, like I, I, you know, faked mono and played guitar. <laughs> I played guitar any chance I could. Man, I would play as much guitar as I possibly could. Like I practiced like crazy, you know, like for many years. Like at the, and I, there was nothing else to do. I really kind of wanted to get out and 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 see the world, and I just couldn't figure any other thing that would help me. To, to do that
1: but you thought the guitar could yeah be, okay. thank
0: god I li- I thank god I was a kid in 1970 and 80s and you know I could think that then because it actually you know and ensemble was a big focus for me too I didn't feel like I was you know my father was a virtuoso
1: mm-hmm.
0: like a real virtuoso um I think his dad thought he was a virtuoso We've had a lot of close calls in my family, <laughs> but my dad was the real deal. He really was. He was twice the musician that I am, like in so many ways, right? Like he didn't write, but he was a, a, you know he was a very, very skilled cellist.
1: but as a, as a kid growing up in the yeah. same house.
0: Yeah. And I heard that. Yeah, I did, did not. You see we it? didn't. I didn't live with him for long. He left. Uh, we came to Toronto. He needed us. I guess still the family was necessary to uh, as a you know as a construct. He come with your family. He came to Toronto with right. us to Seiji Ozawa. It was a great orchestra at that time, right. and um, you know. And I have a lot of great Massey Hall memories. You know, I'm sure the orchestra tuning mostly. <laughs> Yeah, which I like, actually. I always like that. They said, kids would always, you know, uh, that's what I always hear in my head. What do you hear in your head? I hear the orchestra tuning, I would say. Um, But, you know, um, Peter was a great, great, Yeah, he's a great musician. And, uh, but like I say, he didn't write. Um, But the rest of it was, there was a lot of close calls. But my my grandfather, he was also quite a great musician too. But uh, uh, for me, it was just a lot of work. I mean, you know, like it's hard to talk about my dad um, because I want to talk more. But let me just say this about that, um, is that like my father somehow decided to play the cello when he was, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old. And by the time he was 18, he was playing with Casals and he had graduated from the Curtis Institute, and he didn't graduate from high school, so he somehow made it into Curtis without finishing high school. And he did all this at the same time as leaving home, like with his father's blessing and everything. But it was like a real, and he really couldn't like he was an okay. He was a good businessman. It turned out in the end, like he he made okay for himself. But I mean, it was a real, uh, you know, like a real dash for him. Right. I think he needed to get out of a situation, you know, a lot of siblings, and that's pretty remarkable to me. Yeah,
1: and especially, I mean, I think what I know about classical music which is limited but Curtis is a really well respected school yeah right?
0: and to be educated there would be something yeah. else I do like to talk about my dad and oh, um, tell
1: me what you what know. you what did your dad teach you like not, my dad maybe- taught
0: me very little and um, he taught me uh, but he only gave me very he gave me very little advice um, we were friends actually as it turned out in the end and um, but he was drunk a lot of his life. And I don't really drink, so uh, this is how I saved myself, really. I mean. and, and so my dad, though, he gave me great advice. He told me when I quit the spin doctors, no, first of all, he told me um, th- when I went away to school initially, um, he told me that the guitar would make me friends. And then his next piece of advice l- years later... So I went,
1: did you go to school for music?
0: No okay. no I went to try to finish high school I tried miserably to finish Canadian public school and in the end I ended up going to a Vermont boarding school for one year where I actually graduated from and that's how I got to go to school in New York uh, three years after that because I had graduated from an American school oh, and done the SAT thing he's I'm a dual citizen right, right. yeah so um, yeah so he and then his next great piece of advice was when I when I Well, no, I said, I'm going to sign with CBS. What do you think about that, Dad? He said, "Uh, that's Yo-Yo Ma's label. (laughs) (laughs) Then, when I did Saturday Night Live, he said, that's the Toscanini Orchestra Room. And then, um, when I quit the Spin Doctors, when we were really quite actually popular at the time, which is kind of a big deal to do, um, especially when nobody thinks you ought to but you, um, and I'm very, you know... I'm just as I want at, to get to that. I'm just as good at quitting a band as I'm starting one, <laughs> and um, so I, you know, he said to me, he said to me, go and offer to play the next gig because they might sue you in breach of a road contract. So I did that, and I don't know if they ever would have or not, but I think it was really good advice. Mm-hmm. And then when I decided to do commercial music because I had a baby to take care of for a few years and I didn't want to go on the road, he said to me, that's a good idea, but um, don't forget. Uh, when you do commercial music like that, and you're you like you are, you said you're the flavor of the month. So don't forget what that is, you know. Wow. And um, sorry, can you explain yeah. commercial
1: music? mean we are we talking uh, like anything that's commercial?
0: not for art is commercial music? So at the time, I did a, I worked and wrote um, for various media and pitched and stuff like that for um, commercials. You know, I, I've done everything from Sprite commercials to kids' TV jingle uh, songs to. Uh, you know, a song for a singing pig to, uh, uh, you know, pitching uh, HBO theme songs, uh, you know, travel, weird Twin Peaks guitar vacation. You know, <laughs> I sang on a couple of lottery commercials, too, I think. Which did that hard. come
1: easy to you to do this, the commercial work?
0: I figured I needed to stay home. So I did it and I loved it. It was great. It didn't come completely easy, no, know, but I took it as skill set, improved my skill set, yeah. helped me to learn how to write. I met some really great writers, like, like it's a whole different thing yeah. live in studio, like you know, and the, some of these guys. It was also a way for me to work with some of the guys that worked with my dad, because a lot of the 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 the, the, the it was still big band. Actually, we did like uh, I worked on a lot of the Roly Poly Oly stuff for kids TV, and that actually is like an Ellington band, and it was like yeah. the Toronto Cats too. It's like they get Guido Basso to come play trumpet and. You know, um, all that Brian Leonard would play, like yeah, all these guys that have been, you know, in the back in the in the studios of Toronto for years, you know, and so.
1: How did you get that gig? Like, how did you get into that?
0: Um, I think actually, Peter, my father, probably introduced me to Tim Thorny, um, and then Tim and I got along instantly, really, really well. Or it might have been that Brian Barlow, um, Brian Leonard. um, Okay, is this
1: more of like a do? Is that more of an agency thing or a studio thing?
0: No, man. It was just like Tim is another guy like me. He wanted to be a more of a, you know, rock musician, but end up being brilliant. He's a brilliant vocal producer, and he can he can like charm the snake off a commercial, uh, off a off an ad exec. You know, I just made that up. I thought that was pretty good. You can have that out there if you like it. (laughs) I, you know, but he's and he's brilliant, and I love Tim, and I still work. I, I, worked, I went up and recorded uh, some of the vocals for this record at Tim's Place in Collingwood, actually. Oh. And I, I still love to work with the people that I love, and, uh, you know. And so, um, yeah, he hired me for a few years, and I was in-house. You know, I wrote and, and played, and it was great because we had, like, Pete Coleman, this terrific arranger who had worked for Tony Bennett and people like that, who's passed away since, who would come in and do these, you know, big band arrangements for like Mattamy homes and, you know, these crazy things with like, but with real music attached, you know, I'd have to go and read a chart. And then that, and then that sort of, that whole world evaporated, I think after about 2000 and or for me, it did anyways, right. but there was like 2099 to about 2004. I was like dug in here doing that. And, and w-
1: would you consider yourself not successful, but did it serve its purpose? You, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I got to stay it- home. And I wasn't, I was, I had quit the spin doctors for seven years. And it was right at the end of that. Like I joined the spin doctors again in 2001. And because, uh, first of all, seven years is pretty heavy. was exactly seven years. And uh, so it was exactly seven years that I, since I had quit. And, um, the club that we had worked a lot at, Wetlands, was closing due to gentrification primarily. Um, and uh, it was in lower Manhattan and Tribeca, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I, I also lived, I called that Tribeca home, since for, for quite a few years, right before it went nuts. Right. Like, so I actually remembered, like, that part, I, I'm like an older New Yorker like that. I remember that New York. And I lived in that New York. And my family grew up in that New York. Okay.
1: Because well. um, you've mentioned this a few times because I want to get to get to you leaving spin doctors, but let's get to you getting into the spin doctors. So at what point you went to New York and Mm -hmm. and then you started jamming around or playing around the New York scene.
0: Well, primarily I went to New York to go to school and, um, tried to, like I said, stop playing guitar. And, um, but, and I was going to a, a small liberal arts college because I had graduated from high school finally. And, uh, um, my um, in the Greenwich Village, and um, then they started a music school there. But even before that, Tommy Dog realized I was a guitar player, so I was in a punk rock band already. And it just worked out the way Eric Shankman is, is that, like, you know, I just happened to meet all the... You know, I met, I met this guy, Ernie Lawrence, that next year, and he started the Jazz and Contemporary Program at the Parsons School of Design, which became the Jazz and Contemporary Music Program at the, um, at the New School for Social Research, which became the Jazz and Contemporary Music Program at the Mana School of Music. So um, by the time I graduated which is an also an interesting story because I actually finished uh, the I actually finished the last little bit of my education after I quit the spin doctors because I really didn't have anything else to do. What so did I, you
1: want so like when you went to school <laughs> what did you want to go for before the
0: music? Part? I, I want to be an anthropologist really, you know, I didn't just get, you know, I, I wanted to go to school and I thought maybe, you know, my mom wanted me to be a lawyer. I wanted to just do something where I could like, you know, um, you know, sort of get clear of of of, you know, being dependent. Right. I wanted to get over, man, like anybody else
1: <laughs> okay, and but music lured you back at this point. no, I'm sorry I have to go back when you were practicing like hell, what were you practicing? Was it jazz? uh
0: yeah, everything really I, I like I just glued myself on to anybody that could teach me anything, and um, I tried to learn things from records, um, I, I experimented with all sorts of things with my turntable, you know i'd like you know I'd, I'd noticed that warped records were easier to learn because they tend <laughs> to skip over the same bit. I'd listen to like I'd make tape a tape loop. I'd like listen to that all night long, could drive myself deaf with like all sorts of things if I wanted to listen to a little bit of something over and over again. Um Can you tell me a song
1: or a solo or whatever that you you set out to learn and you worked on really hard and it was a big accomplishment to actually learn. Know what period of my life?
0: Young, medium or old, you know? Uh let's say the first one that <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. I, I mean, initially, um, I would say probably Freight Train. Okay. By like who? F- f- freight Train, uh, it was probably Pete Seeger's song. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. You know, and there was a couple others that went with that that were like as a result of me meeting um, a couple of guys in the late 60s um, that could finger pick. And one of them lived in our house, and another one was at the Guitar Academy, which was on Belmont Street. And uh, these guys, they could finger pick, and it was bluesy enough and uh, I was really, I just, I, I just wanted to learn that. There was a lot of things about the guitar that when I heard somebody do it all my life, I was like, oh, I, you know, I just, I would just want to do that. I want to figure out how they do that, you know. It's, uh, all, you know, over and over again. But so, yeah, Freight Train, Finger Picking, Dance Hell Girls. Uh, there was a couple other tunes. Uh, Diddy Wah Diddy, um you know there was some a uh, blind Blake song i can 't remember the title of, but there were you know these little and I have a cousin, my cousin Fay, you and my uncle Joe, they both play ragtime guitar as well, so i 'd go up in the country uh, visit my folks in the summertime and i I'd, I'd, I would hear ragtime guitar, so that was interesting to me, so I worked real hard on that because you got to work real hard to get the you know dig, get that baddo yeah, yeah. thing going on you know with your fingers, and then you know. You know, I'd, anything, even the class, I tried classical too, I tried the, the one book, I, I started all the books probably, I mean, I started the one book with the P I M A. you know, the classical, whatever, L-E-C-A, whatever the book is, I started that book, you know, I tried it all, but after that with the blues, um, probably, for some reason I knew how to play tush, I must have figured it out, but I don't know how. Maybe it just came to me. Like, I, I used to, like, the radio was on a lot. I remember I remember buying Led Zeppelin II somehow or getting it when I was, like, I don't know, nine. You know, I can remember all sorts of things sticking out and occurring to me. Like, that was a great time for guitar. Right. Like, you'd turn on the radio and you'd hear great guitar no matter what. The guitar was always good. And so I would just, you know... Um, I did learn uh, the Blues Breakers record, note for note. Um, you know, particularly you know a hideaway stepping out, little girl. Right. Um, I did learn um, various yes songs note for note. <laughs> Um, I did learn, you know, I was singing that freaking song you were, you, there was like a Genesis song when I came in and I was like, I was singing the melody, anything, right? Like, you know, jazz songs, whatever, you know, and, 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 and then I forget them. <laughs> so <laughs> Later in life, I, I transcribed Donna Lee by Jacko Pastorius I, and I, Clifford Brown's Get Happy with his whole first solo, which I can never play for a minute now, but there's, you know, it was fascinating at the time.
1: So now you're lured back into music through yeah. school. Yeah, and and I know you had this dream of traveling the world with your guitar, but did you have a a, a goal in mind?
0: Uh, I or just wanted to get over really, I really honestly, I just wanted to pay my rent and not have to, um you know, not have to do something I didn't want to do. I, I even so far as perceived my dad like doing commercial music at one point. I didn't want to do that. I knew I didn't want to do Irish Spring commercials. I knew I didn't want to. You know, I I really... There was a book. My mom gave me some book a long time ago about how to form a rock band, and um, that stuck in my head. And ever since I was 10, I've been putting bands together. There was a talent show uh, at at, at my public school when I was was in the fifth grade, and somehow I taught Marco Lodi next door how to play the bass line for a song that we must have wrote. Me and Mike Summers, he was the drummer. He had taken a jazz lesson or two. I had an electric guitar that I... I bought from Jimmy Dale, actually, who's the Sonny and Cher conductor who had moved into our neighborhood. He sold me my first electric guitar, and uh, we did a gig. I have a picture of it when I was 10 with, like, a you know, everybody wore tennis sweatbands <laughs> at the time. I had one around my head and a Western shirt on, an electric guitar. We put the mood light in the bass drum, and we did, like, I remember we did two songs, but maybe only one. But I know it was called Steel Wool, and it started with a cowbell. <laughs> yeah, Corky would be proud. So you know, and ever since then, I've been putting like really either been in groups or put groups together. I always felt like ensembles were really important; that the sum is greater than the than the than the than the mem- you know than the parts. Does that, that come
1: out- easy to you to put together? I, yeah, I like
0: collaborating. I've, I, it's not an easy thing to do. It, there's usually problems eventually because when things go and get more popular, then you know um if you didn't grow up together you're, you you might have a problem you yeah. know when the the singer starts trying to get peeled off from the ensemble <laughs> but um i've always had pretty good luck with it and i have a pretty good ethic and um i think you know you have to be fair and uh and we've always i've always been in fair groups and um you know um and case in point you know the the one, the best, the most successful group I've ever put together is still together. We've been together for thirty years, even though I was out of it for seven.
1: Okay, so when you put that band together, yeah. did you have any idea? Like, was there, was there any idea of that could explode and become as big as it did?
0: When you're twenty-five, anything can happen. You right. know. I mean, did you want that? Was that? No, I didn't care personally. Uh, we were in a situation where New York was a really fun place to play. The cabaret law had been lifted the year before, which meant there was more clubs to play in. We were young. There was a lot of interest in the fusion of of jazz ideas and blues music. People were still like the actual Grateful Deadheads were sort of still. Walking. There was this convergence of all these things that happened, and um, and some of the music that was happening, some of the groups that were happening, like John Popper's Blues Traveler band, and um, uh, things like that were very inspiring in the direction. Because I see it was a populist thing. There was a, there, when you're that age, the audiences can be huge, right? But and, and,
1: but John Popper was in your band
0: at one point. Yeah, right? yeah. But it was more that what happened was you could just see that there was a market. There was a there was an audience, right? You know, and um, Chris and I were um, we were you know i would blame him for the pop success really of the songs themselves for the most part cuz he is brilliant he's got a knack we love to you know we lo- we're like brothers like we'll take each other apart separately but you know <laughs> we work great together and and um
1: did you know that immediately
0: yeah yeah it's like this ensemble chris and i we instantly had chemistry Aaron and I instantly had chemistry, Chris and Aaron instantly had chemistry, the three of us instantly had chemistry, and then we went from bass player to bass player for about eight months, and as soon as Mark, you know, unfortunately, he's a total jerk, but he, musically, <laughs> he's perfect, and it was like, so we're like, we all got, get. you know, it was like the very first note, it was like, holy shit, and I'm sorry, but music trumps, Personal relationships in the case of an ensemble, and and the case in point, you know, w- we've worked through our differences, and I say a lot of that lightheartedly when I say total jerk, but there is truth to the bottom <laughs> of it. We've had to get the four of us have had to get through some pretty intense times.
1: Well, it's a tough thing, right? I it mean, it's like a and family. The music yeah. has
0: won every time, which I think is significant. And it's the only reason I bother to talk about it. Otherwise, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying the music has won. There's something about music that can. If you, if you respect it enough, if you try to work with your strong suit and you improve your skill set, you're honest enough with it, you know, and you don't pop out too much. I mean, well, I never intended to have a pop success with that group. That group, when, if you saw that group before the pop success, it would kick your ass. Absolutely. And I have to accept now that people look at the Spin Doctors and have whatever opinion they have about it. I always thank my lucky stars and think it's, you know, the best worst band or the worst best band I could ever possibly have had anything to do with. Because it's paid my rent for like 30 years.
1: <laughs> okay, so it's it's always hard to know what happens from an outsider's point of view. But, you know, you the song ex- gets released, the album gets released, nothing happens for like half a year or whatever. Then MTV and videos and it
0: mm-hmm. kind of explodes mm-hmm. like a year uh, later. Uh, it fully
1: explodes. Yeah, and yeah. then you on Saturday Night Live, you yeah, on we Sesame everything. Street, Yeah, on the cover of Rolling Stone. Actually, I
0: wasn't on Sesame Street. I'd left by then. I like to point that out. And oh. also, Rolling Stones, <laughs> I never met them. But uh, I, those gigs were already Sorry, Rolling Stone, the design.
1: cover of Rolling Stone magazine. I
0: was on that, yeah. yeah. All that good shit, yeah. Okay, so and for like SNL a year, things just went crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah we what got, was that like? It was just like you think it would be. It was unbelievable. It was absolutely unbelievable. It was a thrill, an honor, and a privilege, and really hard to take.
1: Probably. Right, because I can imagine it. it it's probably <laughs> crazy and yeah. insane, and yeah. not as glamorous as it
0: seems. It was just as glamorous as it seems, and um, fairly scary and not easy to take. I, you know, I feel like I was prepared for a lot of it. Um, you, 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 you survive it how you can. Um, I have so much respect for the Bruce Springsteens and Taylor Swifts of the world. I can't tell you, like when you've been on the sort of like, you know, the inside of that juicer, whatever yeah. you want to say. You know, because these people not only get there once, but they go back.
1: Right. Where they, well, they climb stay on the mountain down.
0: again or yeah. Neil Young and they go up and they come down and they go up and they go down. It's like they get a pass. They can walk up the mountain and walk down. You know, I have been up the mountain, man. <laughs> you know, now going back, that's a different story. I know people that have like slipped and like have been, had terrible things happen trying to get back up the same mountain. So I just try to thank my lucky stars. And the experience is from everything that I've learned in life is experience turns into wisdom eventually, you know, so the, you know, the, the knowledge of, 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 of that journey, you know, is really a great perspective on, on my, on, on my, how I look at the world. The,
1: does, does when you have success like that, does it just give ridiculous pressure onto you? Like-
0: yeah, it can. Yeah, one of the reasons why I quit the band was the pressure was too much for me to handle.
1: And what was the pressure to sell more? To yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. The pressure was to sell more, to play bigger venues, etc., etc., etc. I mean, in a nutshell, I was the only person in the entire organization that had the oppos- the opposing view, right? I wanted to scale back and have a longer lineup out the door. It's just my ethic. I want to play a small a small enough room you know so that it works right and i didn't and with a big pop success like we had with that record i didn't think it was over yet i I, we could have worked it for another year um it was to nobody's advantage to push us and especially because i knew the band and you can't push the spin doctors the us four guys you you start pushing us it all goes a different way it's like if you ever tried to jack up a building with a jack right But if anybody that doesn't know what it works like this, I'll tell you, you go, I think if I put the jack here and I lift it right, that corner is going to go up. Well, folks, it doesn't work like that. You put the jack under there and you go, I think it's going to go up and you jack it up right there. And the other corner goes up. You say, how the hell did that happen? The reason why you don't know how it works is because you're not really knowledgeable about how to jack up a building. (laughs) yeah so this is what you learn right it's like very difficult to survive well you just survive in any ways you can when Kurt Cobain shot himself in the head I remember thinking like I get that I really get that because the pressure of the industry was such it probably still is at the time that if you hit up into the top ten right there's only ten it's a lot of pressure and your schedule gets not it doesn't get easier It gets more intense. How everything gets more intense, and it goes exponentially. So you, 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 you're, you know, that's what you're dealing with. If your organization is strong, or you're a solo artist, perhaps, and you're built to withstand that atmosphere, you know, breaking through the atmosphere like that, then you're going to be better prepared. We, you know. We're just, we're like a crazy bunch of guys in a van. Like we're like, you know, with the fact that we broke through that, we were as surprised as anybody with, we were so, and it's such a huge achievement that like, I already feel like there's nothing I could ever do to ruin that. Like, you know, right there, end of story, I was in a bar band.
1: But does it surprise, you know? like well like, how do you look at yourself and you think, <laughs> well, I'm no different than I was a year ago. I just don't feel any
0: different. I just still have the same goals. I want to figure out how to play that song or I want to try to write the song that you know, and frankly, it was a pain in the ass for me because it made it really, really hard to do anything after that. I had almost ten years go by before I felt like I could put any idea down that was like in any way unaffected you know by an expectation. But it, you kept working. And you kept yeah.
1: working with a lot of different people.
0: Absolutely. I just kept on working because I couldn't do anything else and um, that's you know that's that's who I am. Right? Did you still enjoy music? I never stopped enjoying music. I, I, I stopped working with that band for a while because I was stop I, I was feeling like I you know I wasn't as enjoying it as much and it wasn't as much as it could be. Right. Um, I'm a big believer in music happens where it happens. It doesn't happen because there's a huge room full of people. It doesn't happen because there isn't. It happens, and it doesn't happen because the best guys are standing on a stage together. It just doesn't work that way.
1: And how how did that whole experience change you?
0: Well, it made me see that it was possible for me to do this for my lifetime, and and that I I'm going to be able to. I was very lucky to be invited back into the band. Really, they didn't have to. But. Was that weird? No. It wasn't because we played this gig, uh, you know, and... um, But even playing that gig was... No, it wasn't weird because we played the gig for a good reason. We were asked to do it. We got back together again. By that point, Mark had quit the band too, so there was more than just me out. And the original quartet, the four of us got together, and frankly, it was just exactly like the first time we ever played together. So it's kind of like, you just can't... And it's the same thing. I'm going to see those guys next week. I haven't played with them since November 8th. We're not going to rehearse. We're going to sound check, maybe. Right. And I guarantee you, Aaron will send me a set list because he tends to do them now. And I guarantee you, we'll kill the gig. We will absolutely crush that gig um, because. Uh, the four of us just play together like a great quartet and I challenge anybody if you see the spin doctors play somewhere somewhere as long as Chris doesn't do something that makes you you know annoyed for some reason <laughs> like too many fan kicks you know like you're uh, the you know the, the the band kills you know himself included so and is you know. it is
1: it nice to have that that
0: does you have this thing this band to go back to
1: every so often
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's the greatest thing in the world. Like I really is. It's like, I don't have to, you know, I I can split my, I I do the spin doctors, which is a gig that I could never do a blues, my gig, you know, maybe I'm going to get some good festival circuit stuff. Maybe I'm going to get a good, uh, you know, bar circuit thing with it. I hope to, because I love playing more than just 10 spin doctor songs or 15 in an evening, you know? Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that that's my, that's my music too. And a lot of people love that shit. And you know, we play it and people like they you know, people love Two Princes, man. I can't okay, even tell, me tell what you how much people love Two Princes. It's <laughs> a
1: great song. You tell know. me what it means to you.
0: I love it, man. It's my special favorite song in the whole world, Two Princes. <laughs> it's the ultimate doo song. If you listen to it, it's like a doo song. Ta-da. You know, it's like it's really yeah, is kind of like a doo wop song. It's and I love it, man. It's got a great groove. Aaron put that freaking clave rap thing right at the beginning of it. And it's got this crazy rhythm and it it was written in like one second. Chris had, had the had the lyric like and the and the melody kind of folded, but it was just it just it, that song generated itself in such a way that it was just like when we first looked at each other when we played together. It's the same thing. There are These moments with the Spin Doctors, I don't know what it is, man, because we're kind of, you know, geeky really as people, but it's like <laughs> every so often you know, we put this band together, this song, that song, you know, and it's like, man, you know, you just listen to Two Princes. Anybody that heard it in the first couple of years was just like, that, what the hell is that? What song is that? You know, that song is going to be a hit, man. Like, get. <laughs> So I still the like the I like the quality of that right like I'll never write another Two Princes you know but I don't care because uh, like I made this record Who Shot John this year and it feels like just like the Spin Doctors to me only I'm 55 instead of 25 and uh, I played for two years at a little club working my shit out and my repertoire coming right out of the blues and that imp- so a bit of improv based stuff. Um, the songs, the original songs that have fallen out of my head or I collected in the last decade, very similar to those songs that we're talking about there. They build up a head of steam. You feel like I got to record these because they're, they're, you know i know how they're supposed to go you know and then you bang your head against it see if you can do it and like you man it's like i don't believe in like try and try again i believe in try and if it doesn't work then you know you will try it again some other time and so (laughs) you get 10 in a row with this record and they were only tried a couple times and it's all very immediate my recording is just like that and the spin doctors was just like that
1: do do you remember the first time you heard that's two princes and on the radio,
0: uh, vaguely, but I do remember we were all in the van together when we heard "Little Miss Can't Be Wrong" on the on the on the on the radio. Which "Little Miss Can't Be Wrong," for whatever you think of the lyric, is, uh, is a is a is is a great rock song, and it came right after "Heartbreaker" by Led Zeppelin on uh, the FM station in New York City, and um and and it was amazing. We were coming back from a gig, and the Econoline stereo was you know as good as it was. And I just remember that compressor on the radio made the song pop in such a way. And it was like, oh, my God, it sounds huge on the radio. And um, there's just another thing. It's just there's an alchemy about my band, you know, the Spin Doctors um, from back then. Things lined up, man. There was a thing about the compression on that first. We used Neve compressors. They're old, cheap old Neve from out of a board. We tried to do the second record. We tried to use more expensive compressors, and it didn't even work nearly as well. But this, that record, you listen to the bottom end. It it still bounces. I mean, reverb is what it is. It it gets dated, and then, you know. But but if you listen to the bottom end of that, it's boom, boom boom. And Aaron's foot is just so terrific. So I can't say enough about it. Anyways, I've got great drummers on my record too. I got Van Romaine, who plays with Enrique Iglesias, for Christ's sakes, and uh, and Cody Dickinson, who's who's like you know the North Mississippi All Star. Um, you know, of, it's a great record. Like, yeah. c- congratulations yeah. on that! Thanks, man. It's a really nice piece Thanks. of work, Thanks. and it's
1: not just your typical blues album. It goes no, all it over runs the,
0: the place. The, it runs the compass. You know, it's like it's it's motivated by blues, and it's a blues record in most ways in terms of the stories. Um, but it it stretches out in ways that I think the blues needs to stretch out. It goes into heavy rock. It goes into in, into um, what do you call it? Dum- Dun, 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 kind of dun, funk you know, too, and funk and yeah. and Zydeco and hard shuffle and rock and um, was and, that
1: ever and, a concern though to go all over the place? No,
0: it's not a concern of mine. I, I'm trying to um, make music, you know.
1: Okay, so if I said, wh- I, well, how what would you want this album to do for you? What would that be?
0: Uh, it just forms the basis of my solo repertoire, really, like, and, and, it, and it's like wide, so I can collect stuff within that. People wouldn't be surprised if I did this cover or that cover inside of that context. You wouldn't even be surprised if I did a Spend Doctor song inside of that context. Right. The blues ties it all together, really, and you know, as long as I can tell a story and, and make it fly singing, then it's going to work. Duke Ellington said that, man, or you might not have said it, but if you listen to Duke's band, everything's a melody. So all the components are strong, It doesn't really matter. And for me personally, I'd rather have a wide repertoire um, because the way that I perceive the music business right now working is that I can, um, you know, make little videos for these songs and essentially re release the record all year or maybe for the next two years. And as I've already pointed out with the Spin Doctors, my one big critique and one huge reason why I actually quit the band for seven years was because I felt like we let that record go too soon. And it wasn't our fault in fairness Record companies have a contract period, and ours was up. They had the right to call for it. But that comes down to bad management and the way that management, or let's just say it comes down to a question of the, of the management integrity and the way that that interfaces with the business elements of the band and the record company itself. And, you know, that's very complicated, man. And, it is complicated. And I make music for a living.
1: Okay, um, Eric has to go to a gig, so my Gotta final gig, question. Baby. <laughs> my final question. When you look back on your journey from that kid who said, I want to travel the world with my guitar, to where you are now, how do you summarize that journey?
0: Um, I'm very comfortable with the idea that music is a book that's way too big to read. I'm really never going to get through it anyways, but I like to leave through it whenever possible. Um, and I also think that. Um, you know, you need something in your life that's like serves as a barometer. Whatever that is for anybody, but for me, um, if if I'm moving in a trajectory where I'm understanding music better on a kind of a gut level, and I'm able to surprise myself with an idea or um, permutate something, um, have a you know generate a small thought and 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 like put it through a bunch of paces and have it make sense. You know, if I can see the perspective through that lens with music which is something that I know how to do then I feel naturally like I can handle whatever might come my way like you know like anything uh, taxes going to the doctor stuff that makes you nervous right <laughs> you know that's where I'm at
1: great thank you so much I've been wanting to talk to you for many years this is a thrill. thank you very much for doing thank this thank
0: you I'm glad we had the opportunity to talk thanks really a lot I really appreciate it okay.